0: All right, so we started down the road last week. We got to start opening up these seven seals. And of course, uh, what you have is the, the Lamb of God. And that's, don't, don't miss that. Who's opening these seven seals? The Lamb of God. We normally think of the Lamb of God as gentle, right? Lamb. But here the Lamb is, bam, opening up these seals, and there's nothing gentle about them. Out of these seals, the first four seals come the four horsemen of the Revelation. And uh, what we know about horses is they are a symbol for war. And I never, ever want to lose sight of this. And I hope that, I hope that we will not, as a, as a body of people, do not lose sight of this. There is a war going on in Grand Island, Nebraska. There's a war going on in your home. And it's a war for the souls of human beings. And it's very real to me. It's as real as me walking into a shop yesterday with Ann. And uh, I put on my AFU hat. AFU, you guys know what that is, right? Agreeable family unit. So when Ann said, will you come into Chico's with me? Okay. Okay. Here comes these people. We knew them. I'm like, I know those people. Good. And uh, so this young gal, she's, uh, she's, she is young. She's, she's young. she's got a little mama with a baby and then a young gal. And, and this young gal says to me, well, this summer I'm working for my parents. I said, no, you're not. I'm not. I said, no, oh, no. They sign your paycheck. I said, but the Bible says whatever your hand finds to do, do it as for the Lord. Who are you working for? So if you work for your parents and it's just a job, drain you, make you like, bleh. If you work for the Lord Jesus Christ and everything you do, it'll change you completely." She's like, hmm. See, our world takes hold of us early on, and all of a sudden we're living in the world. And we're part of it. And the revelation comes along and says, get out of it. There is a war that's going on in our homes for the hearts and souls of our kids, our grandkids, for you and for me. And the sign, the symbol of that are these four horses that come as each of the seals is broken. And the first is the worst of them all. It is the Lukas horse, the white horse. We talked about this last week that the white horse is given the authority, given the power. All of them are, by the way. All four of these mean to destroy human beings. Physically, spiritually destroy us. Why? Because all of them are of Satan. This is Satan riding through the world at war for, for souls. Okay. Each, each color of the horse tells us a little bit about how he operates. So the first horse is the white horse. When you look at the white horse, you look at it, and the first thing you say is, Oh, it's beautiful. It looks like it's wearing a crown, right? It has the Stephanos of God, the crown. It looks like, it looks good. And so we said last week, the white horse represents what? It represents false religion, okay? Now, on one side of the coin, if I asked you, what what do you mean by false religion? It would be easy for us to make a long list of those those bodies out there that are, are clearly false in their approach to religion right? We, we could easily say, well, Islam. That's, it's talking about Islam. It's talking about Judaism. Judaism today, which is, uh, rejects Jesus Christ as the Savior. It's talking, about, it's talking about the Baha'is. It's talking about, you know, the universalism. It's talking about all of those things. Well, that's true. It is, okay? Last week, we made the note that in every one of those false religions, Jesus Christ is a part of them. Always surprises people. I'm like, is Jesus Christ in Islam? Yes, he is. Do, do the Islamic people love Jesus? Yeah, they do. Well, why do they hate Christians? Well, they love Jesus because in their religion, who is he? He's a prophet. That's false religion. It's taking, it's taking the word of God and twisting it just a little bit and saying, well, no, Jesus is good. He's a great prophet who teaches us how to live with Allah. Oh, but they love it. When I talk to Mormons, they're a false religion. Do they love Jesus? Absolutely. Jesus is part of the Book of Mormon, right? So what happens is they twist it just a little bit. Jesus Christ is a person who, who, who is teaching us what it means to be God. And in Mormonism, that's what you become. You become a God. You get your own planet. You populate that planet. That's where you're heading if you're a Mormon, right? False religion. So some of these, it's easy to pick out. We look at them. We go, well, what's happening in those false religions? Are they growing or are they shrinking? folks, Islam is growing uh, to the point that, um, you know, within the next 10 to 20 years, America is going to look different. I I don't know if you ever do this. From time to time, people will send me these little YouTubes. I turn them on. I I look at streets in Europe where, though it's illegal to do this, the Islamics come out, and during their prayer time, they bow down the ground and they block all traffic, stop all traffic, and the police stand by just like this and watch. You know why? Because they're told if you interfere with the Islamics, it could mean disaster. They're terroristic. They'll come after us. Don't do it. Just let them pray. That's Europe right now. It's not that far away. You know where Anna and I got married? Uh, Dearborn, Michigan? It is an Islamic city and america more and more will find ourselves facing a religion that many people buy into pretty quickly and say you know what this is a good thing because the islamics say we're going to clean up society we're going to take all the evil in america out and um, we're watching it grow substantially in america today the white horse it comes in the name of god right there's some other less obvious ways in which the, the white horse uh, is riding today, and we touched on this last week, and I always ask you this question, what about within Christianity is the white horse um, riding? Well, there's some, in some instances it's pretty easy to see. Um, I guess it's already happened, so I'm sad that I missed it, but there was an event in Lincoln here, this, I think this last week, right? where one of my favorite preachers came to town and uh, filled up, I guess he probably filled up the, what's that flying saucer, the name they call that thing? Pinnacle <laughs> Pinnacle Flying Saucer Arena, right? And uh, so they fill it up. Well, if you listen to the teachings of, of this particular pastor, I won't say his name, but if you, if you listen to him, his, his first book, the biggest bestseller, Your Best Life Now. Your best life now. Does this book say my best life is now? Oh, no. No, no, no. It does not say my best life is now. When is my best life? It's going to come, right? In eternity. So what happens when I see your best life is now, I'm going to have to tell you, well, God wants you to have what? Wealth and prosperity now. And you can do that. In fact, you should do that. If you don't do that, something's wrong. He's not the only voice, right? Uh, Creflo Dollar, if you know that name, is an African-American preacher. Uh, under fire right now because Creflo, I mean, just I mean, he renamed himself, right? Creflo Dollar. Does this give you a clue what he's about? Yeah. So he went on a campaign to raise money for a jet airline. Um, to be honest with you, a lot of mega churches in in Dallas, where I came from, have have fractal ownership of jets. They do. Uh, from time to time, the news will sniff that out and they'll put somebody's face on television and they'll say, "Look, these." naughty christians bought part of a jet well they're flying around i mean there's one church in in dallas that has subsidiary churches in multiple cities across the united states they fly out there and they fly often so they buy that and they say that's what we need that's what we need to do right um and no we're not going to raise money for a jet here i can promise you that but creflo dollar said you know what i fly so much i need to just buy a jet and have a have a pilot and that's what we're going to do, right? Um, so th- you can kind of sniff that out, and, y- and you've got a lot of people, particularly, if I can say this, in, in some subcultures. Uh, the African-American subculture today uh, is, is very much a, uh, influenced by prosperity uh, teaching. And um, there are huge churches, the Potter's House in Dallas, huge churches where the, the message is God wants you to have your best life right now here on earth and on earth as it is in heaven you can have it on earth as it, as it is in heaven uh, that's not the meaning of the the prayer right god's will here on earth as god's will is in heaven no no you can have it here on earth as it is in heaven it just twisted just a little bit and a lot of people buy into it in fact a huge number of people buy into it um let me give you a second example uh the rainbow When you see the sign of the rainbow, what's it a symbol of? Okay, I'm hearing all kinds of pot of gold. (laughs) Where is it? (laughs) All right, that's good. Well, I guess it was when we were kids. We were told that, right? There's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. So rainbows, we typically think of a rainbow as a symbol of hope, right? The symbol of God's promise. I will no longer will I bring disaster of the, of the nature of the flood upon the earth. What does the rainbow become a symbol for? A marriage, right? Isn't that kind of interesting? How something of God, what does the white horse do? Something that belongs to God is taken and just twisted. That's what's going on with marriage right now. Marriage is something that God created. A man and a woman. He created it. It's a beautiful thing. You know why? Because in marriage, Two people are brought together, and these two people have a purpose in each other's life. You know what their purpose is? Not to make each other happy. Please don't tell me that. Because that ain't going to happen. Yeah. (laughs) I say this on my anniversary, all right? (laughs) No, honestly, here's what happens in marriage. Kaboom. No, seriously. Kaboom. If you take a, a man and a woman and put them in a little box together, kaboom. This is what's going to happen. I promise you, right? And so what starts to happen is we kaboom like this, and all of a sudden we, all the stuff we've been talking about in church, oh, we're loving and we're forgiving, we are, we're people of forgiveness. We're people, we're people that we don't remember a wrong done, we never remember a wrong done. You know, we, we, we have hope. All of that stuff, you guys we just like, blah, 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 we just say it. Now I put you in a box with another human being, do it. Different story, isn't it? You know who shapes you more than anyone else spiritually? Your spouse. In fact, it's the purpose of marriage. Now, God made it for that reason. He says, I'm going to take these human beings, and he looked at the man, he says, that thing, that thing isn't good right there. You need one of these things right here, and, and you, go, you need one of them. And the two of you are going to come together, and I'm going to mold you and shape you into what I want you to become. That's the whole purpose of marriage. It's why in the Old Testament, marriages were they're arranged. They weren't about you know, uh, romance, and I've got to find the perfect person. They're like, nope, you and you, and you're going to come together, and guess what? Do what God called you to do. Shape each other into who you're supposed to be for eternity. And it was a beautiful thing, right? So what does the world do? Takes that, and Satan takes marriage, and what is he doing? Just twist it. Okay. Take a poll in any high school in Grand Island, Nebraska. Ask this question. Do you believe that it is right to prohibit two people who love each other from being married. I guarantee you that the, the percentage of people who will say, no, it is not right to do that, will be overwhelming. Okay. Now I add a twist to it. So okay, thank you for that. Now let me just add a little bit to that. What if those two people were of the same sex? They truly love each other. Now, we would love to say that, you know what, that would change things. That Because, well, whoa, 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 you, no, 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 no. It doesn't. Same results. Why? Because the, the, the one who wears the Stephanos, the crown, who's writing comes and looks like the good guy. Isn't it good? Isn't it right? These two people, they love, why, why would you? Who gives you the right to tell two people who love each other that they can't marry? That's evil. That's mean. Who are you? You're a Christian. Oh my goodness. You're telling two people that love each other. I mean, God made them that way, right? He made them that way. He loves them. He loves them just the way that he made them. And now you're going to not let them get married to one another? How evil you are. That's the white horse. He takes what God made and what God made for good, twists it. And all of a sudden he looks like the good guy. And the world goes, that's right. That's good. There are many churches in America today that would say absolutely, yes, preachers stand up in the, in the pulpit and say, yes, it's wrong that Christian churches are preventing something like gay marriage from happening, right? And uh, what you're seeing there is a battle, a war for souls that's being fought. And if I can add this, and won, and won in a lot of homes and a lot of schools across America and uh, I'll be honest with you, I haven't gotten all the way through it, but uh, Shirley gave me a copy of the uh, standard sexual standards, that were adopted by the Grand, Grand Island uh, School Department. And um, states today have the option, to, to, cities do, to adopt or not adopt those standards, right? You can say yes or no to them. Grand Island said yes, we're going to have them. As you start to read through them, uh, as I've started to read through them, What are teachers going to have to teach? Transgenders? Yeah. Born? Why should you allow some evil person to tell you if you're a boy or girl? You decide if you're a boy or girl. Don't write down male-female on that birth certificate. Just write down the name of the person and then they're going to decide as they grow. I'm a boy or I'm a girl you have to teach that okay and so um, what does the church do well we we need to recognize that 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 is white horse and white horse always looks good we're going to always look bad we we come along we come riding up to the to the way whoa 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 no god made this person a boy you evil person you're going to force them to be a boy? What if they're a girl? What if they're a girl in a boy's body and they want to become a, a girl? You're going to tell them they can't become a girl? You're evil. You're mean. The white horse twists what is good and turns it evil. And not only that, but it looks right because I could join, I could join a dozen churches probably in this area that would say, absolutely. You're right. Okay. Um, my folks, when I, when I was brought into this world, My dad was a Methodist, my mom was a Southern Baptist. Methodists at that time were people who practiced the theology of the Wesleyan brothers. That that theology, uh, by the way, was was termed Methodism because the Wesleyans presented a method for sanctification. It had steps to it. Here's how you must live in order to live a sanctified life and spend eternity with God. Law-oriented? Yes. But very strict. So strict that when my dad, a Methodist, decided I'm going to date a Southern Baptist, his parents, my grandparents, were worried that she was a little bit liberal. That Southern Baptist. Liberal Southern Baptist, right? I'm like, what? Today, (laughs) today, walk into a Methodist church and the, the mantra is, what? Let people think for themselves. You decide what's right for yourself. Now, we're not going to tell you absolutely what's right and what's wrong. We're going to teach out of the Bible. We're going to teach principles. But you, in the end, decide what is right and what is wrong. Go find a Methodist church, and it will support your, your thinking. It will. It's the white horse. It's part of the white horse. How about the Lutherans? You know, the Lutherans are, are not a gigantic body uh, here in North America. In other countries, they are right? Norway, Sweden. We we go over to those countries and they still retain in name what was given to them during the Reformation period. You're either Protestant, Lutheran, or you were Catholic, right? So you have whole whole nations that when you're born, you mark it down. I'm I'm a Lutheran or I'm a Catholic. What am I? They're non-practicing. The vast majority of them are non-practicing, right? The white horse has ridden in a town. And now I can all of a sudden say, yep, I signed off on that thing, checked that box, I'm that, I'm good. They get married in the church, buried in the church, that's about it, right? So it comes into America, Lutheranism does. And it forms three, ultimately three primary branches, the Wisconsin, the Missouri, and now the ELCA. Are they the same? Quia and Quatanas. not quite. Quia and Quatanas. It makes a big difference. Lutherans have always been what they call confessional, a confessional church, meaning that we accept the Bible as the norm of all of our teachings and our beliefs. If if you stop stop a Lutheran on the street and say, "Do you have do you have a book that you use to form your theology?" Yes, we do. We have the Bible. Anything else? Well, yes and no. No, but we have the confessions. Well, what are the confessions? Well, the confessions are are the writings that were put together during the Reformation period. Things like the small catechism and the large catechism and the small called articles and the uh, Osborne Confession. Um, Those are our confessions. Well, what are they? Well, they're they're kind of a clear exposition, teaching of of what we believe the Bible says. Okay. Are they helpful? Well, they can be. All right, so what's happened in the Lutheran church is you go back and you look at those writings, and those writings are very, very clear, cut and dried. Here's what we believe about sanctification. Here's what we believe about salvation. All of that, right? So what happens is over the course of time, those confessions begin to be violated. Not just the confessions. In fact, if I can say this, I guess I'm on tape, so... Maybe I'll get fired, but I'll say it anyway. I don't care what the confessions say. I care what the Bible says. That's it. Now, I subscribe to the confessions. As a pastor in the Missouri Synod, I subscribe to it. What I'm saying there is, yes, I believe they correctly expo- exposit what is in the Scriptures. But I care about what's in the Scriptures. What's happened is, in, our, in, the, in the history of the Lutheranism, you have quiaquanus. You have a group of people who come along and say, well, we'll subscribe to the, to the scriptures as long as they say what we believe the Bible says. Now you have the ELCA. And the ELCA, why, why do you have gay marriage? Because you can't have that and have our confessions. Well, but we subscribe to the confessions only as much as they say what we believe the Bible says. We don't agree with the confessions on that part. Well, then throw the whole thing away. Because to me, they're useless. And by the way, throw your Bible away too. Because it's now useless to you too. You cannot just take parts of the Bible that you think are right for you and the ones you don't like, throw them out. You live by the Bible. By what God says is clear in the Bible. Very clear. There's no, this very black and white cut. Or there's no gray in it whatsoever here. Right? So, what are we going to do? It's popular. It feels better. I'm just going to be honest. It feels better to me. to to be a good guy, right? And so in our culture, what I'm saying to you is in this battle going on for souls, it feels good to our kids, to my grandkids, I know it will, to say, just go with the flow. Don't be a bad, mean person and tell these two people that it's wrong. Don't be bad and make judgments. Bible says, judge not lest ye shall be judged. So don't judge. Just let people be what they're supposed to be. And now I can go find churches with preachers in them that stand up and say, that's right, amen to that. Guess what they are? I'm going to be clear about this. They're agents of Satan. They're Antichrist. They're battling against souls. They will kill souls for eternity. Because the minute I begin to make those compromises, then where else will I make my compromises? It doesn't stop. It does not stop. The white horse is riding. Riding. Where is it the worst in our nation today? Well, my contention is that what we're going to watch happen in America, and I I hope this grips us, we're going to watch the American church change significantly because right now in America, we're watching the greatest shift, shift in people's faith life belief systems to occur in the history of our country by far and away, amongst the millennial generation. The millennial generation is larger than my generation. We're the boomers. We were the largest generation in, in American history. We're now second largest to the millennials. Okay. Here, here's the latest report out of, out of uh, um, Bar- Barna's um, work. And George Barna is a guy who, like, like Gallup, is a Christian who just does sociological work work here's what he says america's unchurched population today if measured would be one of the world's largest countries as of 2014 the estimated number of people in the u.s who are defined as churchless meaning they have not attended a christian church service other than a wedding or a funeral at any time during the past six months stands at 114 million Add to that the 42 million children and teenagers who are unchurched and you have 156 million U.S. residents who do not engage with a Christian church. To put that in context, if all those unchurched people were a separate nation, they would be the eighth most populous nation in the world, trailing only China, India, Indonesia, Brazil, Pakistan, and Bangladesh. They would be the eighth largest nation. Now, second, second part of that. The younger a person is, the less likely he or she is to attend a church. While there's a generation gap among the church and unchurch, the difference is not as dramatic as you might expect. Amongst the church population, millennials make up 11 percent. Xers 33 percent, Boomers 35, and Elders are 22 percent. the millennials, the millennials, uh, he says. However, the actual gap is is a um, is, is a large is a large and growing gap as the millennial generation tends to be categorized amongst what they are now calling the nuns not like a nun with a habit but the n o n e nun what what faith do you practice none now if you ask them what faith are you here's how they'll answer majority will answer christian so what what are you talking about? So you're a Christian. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. What does it say? We're in the midst of a war, right? Persecution is going on. The writer of Hebrews speaks to the church and says this. Hebrews 10, 25. Do not forsake the, the assembling of yourselves together as some people are in the habit of doing. Don't Do not try to do this on your own. You are meant to be a body of people together vast majority of millennials and in growing numbers would say we don't need to do that but what are you i'm a christian here's what i believe they are we would call it theistic agnostics a theistic agnostic is someone who would say this i believe in 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 some way that jesus is is for me i believe that i'm going to go to heaven because i believe in jesus but I don't believe that Jesus is the exclusive way to heaven. I believe that there's multiple paths, and even with Jesus, the, the, the issue at heart is how I live. If I live a right life, and I'm a good person, and I believe there's a Jesus, I'm good to go. That is the vast majority of our young people growing up in America today. Why? White horse is riding hard. The white horse says, "This you don't. You don't need to go to church. Church is flat out boring anyway. Some guy up there, blah blah blah, and that you don't need that. Besides so that, they just tell you what to do. Who need you need somebody telling you what to do? I don't. So skip it. Do your own thing. Read your own books. Make up your own mind, and just be spiritual. Live a good life. Don't kill anyone, for goodness sakes, and you'll be in heaven. And guess what?" That white horse is riding hard. What I'm saying to you is, when you open up the Revelation and you hear that, that pop, the question that you have to ask yourself is, well, why wouldn't, why wouldn't God just stop that? Just kill the white horse. But in every one of these horses, you'll see these words, was given to them authority. And so what's happening is, the white horse is riding under the authority of Jesus Christ with the ability and the permission to deceive people. What that forces amongst us is it actually forces us to do what? To do battle. And to realize when we do battle, you can't beat the white horse. It will overcome you. As a dad, as a, as a granddad, now watching my little ones, here's what I know. We'll lose that war if we try to fight it in our own strength. And so what has to happen in homes, what has to happen in homes, our homes have to become strong places, centers where our kids from little all the way up grow up with a mom and a dad who are doing what? Opening up the scripture and saying, this is the truth, this is the truth, this is the truth. A mom and a dad who say what? No, we're not going to do that. No, we're not going to engage in that. Not because we're going to kind of make ourselves a little bubble over here, but because that's, God didn't call us to that. He called us to something higher. And guess what we are going to do? Yes, we are going to go into our neighborhood. And we are going to believe that God put us in this neighborhood to win people to Him. And so we are going to knock on doors and we are going to pray for people and we are going to invite people to, to, to be a part of, of maybe a, a Bible study in our home. We are going to do that because we're fighting a war and God put us in this neighborhood and we're going to gather together with other families who believe the same thing and we're going to go out on the Grand Island with the Word of God because we believe this. Don't we believe it? That greater is He, greater is He who is in us than He is in the world. Do we not believe that? Then ride... But ride the horse of God. Let him fight the war. Not you or me. In our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, this is what God is calling us to. He is saying, please, church, pay attention to this. There is a horse that is deadly. Stand firm on the faith. And that's why I get impassioned about how do we as a body of people equip our homes to be those places where we're living this stuff out. We're living this stuff out. I, I mean, I just say, I mean, I, I go into into what we call worship today, today, and I think, let the Spirit of God just pour through you with joy. Let your let your friends, your kids, just see you as somebody who's I am here to worship Him, and I believe what He has to say to me. Live it out, because we are in a battle. That's your first horse, is the, is the horse that uh, means to kill but looks good. All right? Second horse. Second horse is very different than the first one, right? Verse number three says, When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Erku, come, right? And out came another horse. Who was Puros? I think my Bible says bright red. This horse had a white in on its side. And it took you guys a while to get that. <laughs> no, it doesn't have a white in on its side. <laughs> For goodness' sake! <laughs> This is a bad horse, people. Okay. Now, here it says, its rider was permitted. Now, again, it's kind of like to the white horse is given this crown, right? You, You get to wear the crown. You get to look like God. In this case, this rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a mighty sword. All right. So the red horse, what does the red horse uh, represent? First of all, I like I like the fact that the, that the color is red for, for two reasons. There's a play on a word here, all right? So in Greek, the word for for red would be pure ros, pure os. All right. And when you hear that word, you should hear the English word what? Pure, pure. What does fire do? Fire purifies, right? So if I have something metallic metal and I want to purify it, heat up that fire, and I can take the impurities out of it, okay? So the play on the word is the red horse. Red is the color of blood. And there will be what? This horse rides to take peace from the earth so that there is blood. Men will slay, will kill one another, so there's blood. But the other side of that, piros, there's your red. The other side of that piros is, guess what's going to happen? Because of that, this horse, like the white horse, causes the church to do what? to become purified, okay? Jesus says it pretty simply when he looks at his church and he says this, in this thing called the church, there is wheat and there are tares. Now, here's how that gets translated. In a body of people who've come together for the purpose of worship, there are those who are believers in Jesus Christ and there are those who are not. It's kind of shocking when I say that. No preacher, me, me especially, I do not, no, none of us stand up and go, hmm, that one is and that one's not. No. There will be no judgment of a heart. But do I know, do I know that in a body of gathered people there are those who are followers of Jesus Christ and those who are not? Absolutely, I know that. Okay. Why does the white horse and the red horse get permission to do what they do? Purify the church. What happens is through atrocious things people are led back to what Jesus Christ because when you begin to watch what's happening in our world today you begin to ask yourself the question where in the world is there a place to find safety how do I find safety it scares you why is there fear there we want to hold on to our humanity right be purified give that up lay that down find your security in him and him alone so when we watch the red horse ride we see him on television I saw him on television last week there was a guy in Washington DC and he decided he wanted to rob a family and he could get a pretty good chunk of money so he did rob the family killed them all burn their house down okay um, cnn puts it on all the newscasts put it on they got a picture of this guy everybody's like look at this guy he's crazy you know i wonder what a psychologist would say i wonder if he went to a psychologist i'm like you guys are looking in the wrong direction what are you guys even talking about do you not know what's going on no no one on cnn he seems to know what's going on no newscaster see i'm like do you not realize this is a red horse this is satanic now I know people will brand me as a weird fool for saying that, but let me just say it again. This is satanic. The red horse rides, and what does he do? He is given permission to take peace from the earth, and so we read it in the Gospels. I want to show you just a just a, a, a gospel uh, context or cross reference here that uh, I think has been helpful for me. Uh, Jesus talked about this stuff. And if you go over to Matthew 24, just Matthew 24, you can really clearly see in just plain language what this red horse uh, looks like. And Matthew 24, beginning of verse three, is, is really comprehensive, so it encompasses all of the horses. Uh, all of the horses are in Matthew 24. They're just not identified as horses. But there's a verse I really want to stop on, so kind of pick this up with me. Verse number three, he says, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. This is a private setting. Tell us, tell us when these things were going to be. What, what is the sign of your coming and the close of this age? So Jesus said, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am Christos, I am Christ, and they will lead many astray. There's the white horse, right? You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, okay? There's the red horse. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom will rise against kingdom. There's the the red horse. And there will be famines, and there will be earthquakes in various places. There's the black horse. All these are but a beginning of the birth pains. What you're watching on television, it's just the beginning. It'll get worse. How do I know that? Just keep reading. It says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and they will put you to death. That's happening around the globe right now. People being put to death for the world. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Guess what? That's already starting to take place now when you stand up and you say, Listen, I I cannot support that measure. I cannot support that belief. People hate you for it. Like you're the bad guy. Just know that. That's what's gonna happen. Verse ten says, and many will fall away. That's scary to me. Someone will not want to I want to fit in. I I don't want to be an outcast. I, I, I mean I'm on get you know, on Facebook and Instagram. I don't want to look like an idiot. I want to look like I fit in, right? Many will fall away. I'll just lay it down. Many will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and they'll lead many astray. Now here's what I want you to, to underline if you have your own Bible. Verse number 12, to me has always been very significant. It says, and they will become lawless. Lawlessness will be increased. Here it is. The love of many will grow cold. Okay. So, there are psychopaths in our world today. Someone would look at that guy in Washington and say, that's a psychopath. Psychopath has no feelings. I could just shoot you, take your money, walk out of your house, maybe eat a free of your french fries before I leave. I don't care. I've been around psychopaths possessed people are there possessed people in our world today yeah okay many times a possessed person looks exactly like a psychopath they're demonically they're demonically possessed they have the capacity to kill somebody walk away feel nothing maybe even some joy in it right so both go on right I, I have no desire to say that there are, there are not psychopaths in the world. There are. But there are also possessed people. There are many people who are demonically, demonically uh, oppressed to the point that they do what? They'll kill people. And it scares us. We turn on the TV and we're like, where do I go to be safe? Because you got this, this guy here. You got another guy that's sitting out. We, they haven't found him yet. He's just shooting people while they're driving down the highway. Right? Boom. People are like, don't go on that highway. He's shooting people on that highway. He moves to a new highway. Starts shooting people there. Just don't go out on the road at all. Well, no, that's not going to work. How can somebody do that? Nobody on the news says it. This is the red horse. People's love will grow cold. They have moved so far away from what they were created to be that they lose their sense of meaning for life. The meaning of another human being. And they have the capacity now to kill. And we read it over and over and over again in shocking ways. And I say to myself, we should not be surprised because that is what a demon will do. Just one, one last note on this red horse stuff. I don't know if you've ever watched this before, but in the Bible, when you, when you see somebody who's demonically possessed, one of the marks of demonic possession is the demon always seeks to, to destroy its own container person themselves. But it's also violent towards other people. And so in in the New Testament period when someone would be identified as demon possessed they would literally be removed from the city oftentimes chained up because they did that much harm to other people. Okay? Today I believe there are demons at work certainly tempting people to have no care for another human being and there are possessed people. And that is the red horse. And he is riding and he is destroying a lot of lives. And so we read it on the, in the newspapers. We see it on the TVs. And, and our first reaction to all of it is, man, I don't, I, it's a scary world that we live in. Where can you go? There's people just shooting you. I mean, and then you got some guys with swords chopping people's heads off. And you got some church that gets blown up in the sedan. And you get some ruler who decides, I'm going to wipe out people with poison gas. What's going on? The red horse is riding. And he's been permissioned to ride. Why? Puros. It will always force you back to this. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Because you want to hold on to your life. Let go of that fear. Where do I finally find safety? Here's where you'll find it. Puros. When you finally get to that point where you lay that down and you know that it's fine for you to pray, Lord God protect me, keep me safe. That's fine for you to pray. But here's what you know, I could get shot. So why does a why does a young person say, "I'm going to take the Bible and I'm going to go head first into an Islamic country and I'm going to preach Jesus Christ." Well, you'll be killed. Pious. Then let it be. You're supposed to be afraid. I'm not. Why? Because the day that I die, 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 is the day that Jesus Christ marked anyway. And on that day, I'm set free from this world. Until that day, guess what? Full steam ahead. Not foolishness, but full steam ahead, believing in what? I know that the only place that I find my security is in Jesus Christ, in Him alone. Puros. That's pure. That's, that's purified. That's why the white, red horse is given permission to ride. Because we're all afraid of death. And Jesus Christ comes along and says, death cannot harm you. I've already overcome it. So in every one of these cases, while the, the horses ride against the body of Christ and against the souls of human beings, God calls us to do the same thing but in reverse. Go out boldly and go out with my word and it will change lives. One last story and we'll wrap up. So... In my life, it kind of looked a little bit like this. Police car pulling up. And we were serving pancakes. And um, people were coming and eating those pancakes. We were in a little bitty apartment. And the police guy pulls up and he says, "Um, you know about this apartment, right? So what about it? Well, this, there's, there's people getting killed here. I mean, there's, gun, there's gunshots at night. There's horrible stuff going on in this apartment. You, who are you? Well, we're a church. We came here. We're serving people. We want these folks to know about Jesus Christ. Okay. Well, you probably ought to pick a different apartment because this one's not safe. We were inviting families, families like yours, come in and we're going to serve pancakes and we're going to go preach the gospel. What should we do? Should we abandon it? No. Here's what this says. Boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It will change lives. And it does. And, and I, I will tell you, one of the greatest privileges I've had in my life is watching a body of people just believe it does change lives. And then watch it change lives. The only way people put down their guns and learn to love one another They're not going to learn it in some class and school. They're not going to learn it from the government. The Spirit of God comes into them. And now guess what? They have love in their hearts. Through Jesus Christ alone. That's what the church is called to, is to fight this battle against this demonic force that's riding powerfully in our world today. That's the red horse. Two more horses.